Morning. How are you today? God is good. Uh, we turn to Acts chapter 10 with me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he, was clearly in a, he, was, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for you coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter, Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee and after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we just uh, a couple of weeks ago saw Paul and the encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus, how that totally transformed Paul's life and his approach to ministry and his perspective of God. It seems that Peter now has a similar encounter with Jesus. It's Peter's turn, in essence, to be challenged. It's Peter's turn to have this encounter with Jesus that will totally transform the way he understands his mission, his purpose, and his God. I think it's fairly common knowledge nowadays that, uh, you know, the Jewish religion, the Jews at the time of Jesus, had some perspectives that they had extrapolated about the law, specifically that the law was, you know, supreme above all else. 
They had learned this lesson really well, not after it was given to them by Moses, but after exile for some years, right? They realized in that exile, it's like, okay, wait a second. God really means that we need to obey the law. Like he gave us this law on purpose. We got to make sure we watch, we, we do everything in the law so that we don't get punished by God, right? And so when they came back from exile, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls and rediscovered kind of their faith and their trust in the law. And they, they put together all of these, uh, uh, basically, fences and, and guards against anyone breaking the law because the law was the most important thing. The law was how they were saved. The law was how they were to appease God. The law is how they were to be blessed, like it was through obeying the law. The law took this premier position in their faith and in their understanding of who God was. Breaking the law led to exile, Breaking the law today means that you, you're going to lose your, you're going to lose, you know, you get cursed by God. You're going to lose out on the blessings that God has for you. So the Jews extrapolate this out of the purpose and the meaning of the law and how important it is. Jews also extrapolated out from this the, that they were different. I mean, they were not just the folks who received the word, the law, but they received like this chosen position that God decided to choose them to be his people, that he would dwell with them and, and that he would give them their law. But the, so they, because of this, they were set aside. Like they were, they were different than everybody else. They were a special group of people. And they extrapolated out of this as well, this perspective of what was clean and unclean what was blessed, and what was cursed. Of course, uh, one of the, and there are several things that, that fit under this unclean, this cursed perspective that they had. First of all, of course, was the sexually immoral. We see even in the life of Jesus as he's walking, one of the biggest criticisms against him was the fact that he was hanging out with the sexually immoral, with the prostitutes. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this, Jesus? That, that's immoral. That's wrong. That's against God's law. They are cursed people. They're unclean. Why are you spending time with them? But it wasn't just the sexually immoral. It was also the tax collectors, right? Tax collectors were, were a group of people that they were to avoid and to not spend time with. The diseased as well. Well, I mean, if they had been following the law, they would be healthy, right? Because God blesses those who have followed the law. So the fact that they were diseased in any way and crippled in any way or blind in any way or couldn't do this or that way, now obviously they're unclean. Even the law says that, you know, the lepers were unclean and shouldn't be able to come to the, into God's presence. We also see the extrapolation, of course, that because they're not Jews, the Gentiles are unclean. They don't, they don't obey the law. They're not following the law. They're outside of the law. They're outside of salvation. They're outside of those who are blessed. They're part of the cursed. They're part of those who are unclean. So much so that no one should even spend time with them. Shouldn't go to their house and definitely should never eat with them. It's these extrapolations that were commonplace in the Jewish faith at the time, commonplace even in the early church, commonplace even in Peter's mind. And then he has an encounter with Jesus. Do not call unclean or common what I call clean, Jesus says. 
Amazing. It's amazing that Peter would so quickly let go. And, and maybe he didn't quickly. I don't know, it seems quickly. And certainly there was some preparation by Jesus before this word that comes to him with this sheet, this dream, this vision that he has. Before his encounter with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit baptizing and coming down on even Gentiles. Before all of that, there were certainly some other times where Jesus was kind of pointing him in this direction while he was alive. And even after, since we've seen some things happening, you're, okay, what's going on? The Samaritans had already come in. They thought the Samaritans were outside as well, but they, but they were let, welcomed in and had the Holy Spirit poured out. But it's amazing to me, again, that, that Peter is ready after this encounter with Jesus to let go of what he knows, to let go of what he's defended maybe all his life to let go of the traditions, to, to let go of the extrapolations that he'd come to, that, that he'd go, oh, yeah, look, at yeah, I, I know, understand who God is, and, and now he's expressing himself in a way different, and, and, he, and he accepts it. He accepts it even though maybe he doesn't fully understand it yet. doesn't make sense quite yet. Come to see that, yeah, I need to not call things unclean that God... It's called clean, but don't really fully understand what that means. The amazing thing here is that Peter was willing to hear what Jesus had to say and to do what he saw Jesus doing, even if it contradicted what he understood the way that he understood God to work. Now, there's a saying, you know, uh, that has been around. It was around when I was uh, in my 20s at least and maybe 30s. Well, in my 30s as well. But, uh, you know, the, the, the bracelets, right? You know, what would Jesus do? You know, it, it, what would Jesus do? We so often we go back and, and in that statement, it's about looking to know and see what Jesus did when he was here. What would Jesus do? Yeah, we're trying to apply it to today. What would Jesus do in this situation? But we apply it today by going back 2,000 years ago and under trying to understand how he operated 2,000 years ago. Now, there's some good in that. And that's, that's an, I think, can be an effective way for understand what to do today. But Peter's like, he doesn't do that. Peter's not like, oh, wait a second. Wait, let me go back in the Old Testament here and let's see what you have to say about the cleanliness laws. What, what, is, what does it say about Gentile? Wait a second. Let me go back and see this. Right? He doesn't do that. Instead, he's more interested in what is Jesus doing right now. It's not what would, what, what, not, not what would Jesus do. It's what is Jesus doing right now in this moment. Peter allowed for, for, for Jesus to do something new, to do something different, to do something beyond what was expected, to do something beyond what he had planned, to do something beyond his own perspectives of how God would operate. I think too many of us have that same, we have this issue. We, 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 want, we love to go to Scripture We love to go to scripture and, and, and use it as a way to define God. We use it as a way to box God in. We use it as a way to, 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 to fill our, 
our minds and our intellects with perspectives that then allow us to control God in our life. The amazing, I think, thing about Peter and Paul both, it was that these were well-thought-out theologies, extrapolations that they'd lived with for years and years, defended for years and years. Yet when they have an encounter with the alive, the, the living Jesus, they're willing to let go of those extrapolations, those theologies that they'd hung on to their whole lives. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. The word of God is truth. But the word of God is not just a book. The word of God is a person. It's Jesus. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And we have to come to an understanding that we... we this is not going to... This is going to help us to find Jesus and understand who Jesus is, but we will never know Jesus as if, if this is all we know. Jesus is a personal God who is in intimate relationship with every one of us. The reason that Peter lets go of his understanding of this in order to do what Jesus is doing today is because he had a personal relationship with Jesus. And that in that personal relationship, Jesus says, hey, you don't quite understand this correctly, so you need to listen to me so that you can do the right things, what is true today, what I am doing today. And not just rely on what I've done in the past. Not just rely on your understanding of what I've done in the past. Instead, listen to me. Know me. Knowing Jesus is not about knowing about him. It's about being with him, hearing his voice. Like the Jews, we have extrapolations as well that we love to cling to. Modern day law extrapolations, if you will. Some of the, you know, the, 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 the famous old, you know, famous ones that, you know, we've kind of let go of somewhat, you know, things like, you know, abstinence from alcohol, you know, and, I, and maybe some of us are still, you know, fighting over that, you know, you know, no Christian should ever drink alcohol, smoking, you know, no Christian should ever smoke. And maybe going, wait a second, that's true, isn't it? Wait a second, what are you doing? It, it, it's, there's differing opinions on that, right? Dancing, right? Okay, let's throw that into there. We're going to lump smoking and alcohol into dancing, Like, right? Don't ever dance, like uh, cards, playing cards, can't play cards, right? That's not appropriate. Drum Again, I, I don't know what we're doing with these things up here. This is just inappropriate. This is wrong, right? I mean, this is so, but these are extrapolations that many Christians and many churches over the years have clung to and said, this is what it is. This is what you have to do. If you do, if you do these things, that's wrong, that's unclean, that's ugly, that's evil, that's bad, that's not going to be blessed, that's going to be cursed. But if you do these things, we got these other stuff. But, but that's, you know, more of, you know, kind of these loosey things, a little bit of lifestyle things, but there's some near and dear heart to our heart theologies that we cling to as well, that, that our extrapolations, our soteriology, our understanding of what it means to be saved. There's some that fall in that once saved, always saved camp. We're going to cling to that. I'm always saved. Never can lose my salvation. I'm always over here. No matter what happens, no matter what I experience, I'm over here. It's always saved. Or the other side, we can lose our salvation back and forth, right? Calvinism, Arminianism, right? You know what I mean? So we've got these sides, but they're extrapolations. Maybe you have your convictions on one or the other, 
But they're extrapolations. What if Jesus showed up? What if he showed you a different way? Pneumatology is another one. That's a, this is a fun one right now, right? Gifts of the Spirit, right? I mean, a study of the Holy Spirit, how he works, what he does, how he pours out, when he pours out, why he pours out, right? Gifts of the Spirit. I mean, is speaking in tongues, is that for everybody or is it just for a few? Or what, I mean, is all, everybody going to have the gifts of the Spirit? Or is oh, there's a, that's just a first century thing when God was building the church? What is it, right? I mean, how is he going to pour out and what's it going to look like? Do I have control of this spiritual gift that I get? Do I get it for all my life? Or do I get to kind of decide when to use it or not? Or what is it, right? I mean, all of these are extrapolations. Of course, the other fun one is eschatology. Ah, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. So we have raised the hands. You know, which ones are you, right? I mean, you know, this has been a debatable topic for 2,000 years. Extrapolations. Ecclesiology, how we function as a church, right? Well, you know, what's, what's a church, what's the best church look like, you know? I mean, it's got to look like us, right? Because we're the best church, right? Right? It's got to be like us, right? Whatever, right? But, you know, home church, you know, this, this whole house church kind of movement came about 15, 20 years ago or whatever, kind of began to come, and then it just kind of rose, and, oh, yeah, this is the way to do it, because that's what they did in the first century. I mean, this is what we see in the first century. It's a house church, right? So we should just go back to the first century. That's how it works, you know? If we do that, then everything's going to happen. It's going to be great. It's gonna be, we're going to be the best church ever, right? Or, or even, you know, just small church perspective, right? You know, small church is definitely the way it's at. I mean, you don't want to be a mega church. If you're a mega church, it's just not church. That's not the way God designed it. It's, I, don't, I mean, you can, I guess, do it, but it's not really. It's small church. Like, matter of fact, you always, you get too many people in your church, you got to split them up, man. You got to get them out there, you know, get them somewhere else because you can't have too many people in a room, right? I mean, this extrapolation. Of course, we kind of dealing with right now this whole perspective of women in ministry, egalitarian or complementarian. What is it? You know, how do we stand? Where are we at? It's extrapolation. What if Jesus shows up? What if he shows up and calls you to go to a mega church? Are you going? No, 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 no. Look, house church is God. You know how it works. That's not you, Jesus. This is the reality, right? I think some of us know our theology so well. We know all our little, you know, kind of hits and misses, you know, this once saved, always saved, what, you get to the spirit. We got all these things figured out. And I wonder what we're going to do when Jesus shows up. What are we going to do if we have an encounter like Peter? If all of a sudden we have this vision and he begins to speak to us, what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to be a Pharisee? And say, no, 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 Jesus, the Messiah is not coming this way. No, 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 the Messiah is not going to. No, this is not the way it works. The Messiah would never heal anybody on the Sabbath. Come on. He knows what the Sabbath is about. He's not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And he wouldn't, surely wouldn't have somebody who just got healed pick up his mat and walk. Are you serious? On the Sabbath? What are you thinking? No, Jesus, we're going to take you out because you're obviously a heretic. What if Jesus shows up and he challenges one of your extrapolations, one of your well thought out and philosophized, you know, perspective of theology? Are you going to be a Pharisee or are you going to be a Peter or Paul? We 
We've also extrapolated out modern day groups of people who are unclean and cursed that are outside of God's grace. You know I'll say it because it's just, it's out there. Homosexuals, right? Many in the church today, homosexuality, that's out. There's no way. I can't save them. Maybe he could save them, but you know, don't, don't send me, Jesus, right? Don't, don't make me have to go and, I mean, I'm not going to spend time with them. They're unclean. I don't want to spend any time with them. I don't want to go and actually have to interact with them. I mean, they can stay over there and do their thing. I mean, they come to Jesus, that's great. They can show up, but I don't want to get too close to them because they're unclean. I, don't let them around my kids. I mean, who knows what they're going to do to my kids, how they're going to, you know, corrupt them in some way, right? I mean, no, 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 like, they're out there. They're unclean. They're, I mean, maybe someday they can have some grace, but let them have the grace first before I spend any time with them. Another group of unclean and cursed people are the sexual abusers in our world, especially of children, child traffickers. No, no, that's just, it's too sick, God. It's too, it's too ugly. It's that sexual immorality is just too, it's too far out there. It's too, you can't, no, it, they deserve, I'm sorry, but they just deserve to be punished like in hell forever. That's what they need. Because, I mean, it's just so wrong. It's so evil. It's so horrible. Look what they did to these innocent children. Look, even your word says that if you cause any of these little children to stumble, what should happen? You should have this millstone around your neck, and you should be killed right there in the spot, right? I mean, like, no. What would Jesus say? Or what would you say if Jesus called you? to share the gospel, to come alongside and live next to. A child molester. Another group of unclean group, uh, of unclean are those who have had abortions or those who are abortionists. Yeah, yeah, they're outside. Nope, nope, can't, no, they're just too far, too far gone. Addicts, illegal immigrants, Muslims, Trump supporters, or, or Biden supporters. No, they're just too far out there. No, sorry. God, don't bring any Biden supporters to my church, please. Oh, Lord, please don't bring any Trump folks. I don't want any of those Trumpers. Oh, Lord, help me not to have to live next to one. He's going to probably put signs out in his yard. <laughs> Bringing it maybe home a little bit closer to home, let's put it that way. The one who hurt us is oftentimes in that cursed group, the unclean group. not deserving of God's grace. What if Jesus showed up? What if you had an encounter with Jesus and he totally turned your perspective of evangelism upside down? 
No, no, no. No, no. Don't go to the easy people. I want you to go to the tough people. I want you to go to the hard people. I want you to go to the people that are really, really, really lost. Not because they've never heard, but because they have heard and they've rejected. I had us read at the beginning, maybe you recognize now, but I had us read the Nicene Creed at the beginning because I think it's important as I challenge our theological extrapolations that we understand what is the core beliefs of our faith. The Nicene Creed gives us those core beliefs. And you'll notice that in the Nicene Creed, it talks about salvation but it doesn't tell you whether it's once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation. Right? It just, you know, talks about the how we get saved, like through Jesus, right? You'll notice in the Nicene Creed that there's no, like, there's, it's, it talks about eschatology. Jesus is coming back, but it doesn't give that premillennial, what? It doesn't give, pre, what? It doesn't give premillennial perspective? What are you talking about, right? No, it's premillennial, definitely. Everybody knows it's premillennial. Now, wait a second. <laughs> It's a Nicene Creed. We read it because these are the essentials of our understanding of who God is. These are the essentials of who he is and who we are and who he's created us to be. And we need to cling to those. And it's my firm belief and conviction that God will never challenge those core beliefs. He may challenge our perspective of those beliefs. He may challenge our extrapolations from those beliefs. But he's not going to challenge those pieces. Those are truth no matter what all the time. Right? And so how do we hold these other pieces loosely? How do we have a humble theology? Not humble in the sense that some other people can have different perspectives and we're not going to jump on them, but humble so that when Jesus shows up, we don't jump on him. The reality is, is, God has called us to intimate relationship with him, to know him. John 17, 3, this is salvation, that you know the Father in him who he sent, Jesus Christ. To know him, not know about him. We so often allow this to be the substitute for who Jesus is. This is truth. This reveals to us who Jesus is. But if this is all we know, we don't know Jesus. Because those who know Jesus have him within them. We hear his voice every day. He speaks to us. He directs us. He leads us. He helps us to understand what this means. He's the one who can come in and correct our extrapolations. He's the one that can come in and say, no, 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 hold this more loosely. Be humble with it. Don't, don't just cling on to this. Cling to me. Yes, this is truth, but I'm the one who is true. We have to allow him to come in and change our perspective. We have to allow him to come in and challenge our convictions. We have to allow him to determine what is true and what is not. Allow him to be the authority. Allow him to direct. Allow him to speak. Allow him to define who he is. 
it's been amazing over the last six months, especially as the Lord continues, and I've shared with you many times, but how he continues to just mess with me. I keep having encounters where he's like, let go of that. Don't hang on to that. It's not that that's like wrong, but that's not everything. He keeps stretching me. You know, stuff about the Holy Spirit, stuff about a revival. Like he keeps stretching me. Like, you know, there's things that I'm like, no, 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 that's not, no, I can't, no, that's, that's craziness over there. I'm not going to allow. And the Holy Spirit and God just keeps saying, no, open up your heart, open up your mind. It may be a little bit chaotic when the Holy Spirit pours out and that's okay. Trust me. I remember when I was a youth pastor, one of the times when God convicted me, he came in and had an encounter with him, and I was, I was a youth pastor, and I was having a good time. I loved being a youth pastor. It was great. It was easy. It was fun. It was, God, yeah, it's like, yeah, this is, this is the best life ever. I'm going to do this forever. And then God says, hey, I don't want you to be a youth pastor anymore. I'm like, but wait a second, but you gave me a passion for teenagers. You gave me a heart for teenagers. I love, I've been doing this for 20 years. I love this. This is what my life is about. I just, this is, you know, I can see the future. It's going to be great. I'm going to continue to do this. It's awesome, right? And he says, no, I want you to let go of that. So what do you mean let go of it? It's my passion. It's how you made me. No. That's just your passion today. I can give you a different passion tomorrow. Right now, I feel like he's kind of doing the same thing in me. There's perspectives that I have of what it means to be a pastor that he is asking me to let go of. He wants me a different kind of pastor. And I'm like, what do you mean? I've spent 25 years developing this perspective, these philosophies. They are good and right. Maybe not right for everyone, but they're right for me. And he's asking me to let go. Philosophies of how to run a church organizational administration stuff. You know, when I came to the church, you know, I've told you many times, like, uh, man, fear and trembling. I, oh my gosh, I, the spiritual stuff, the, you know, preaching stuff. I was like, ah, I can't do this, Lord. This, you're going to have to do something. And he, praise the Lord, he's done, I, I, oh man, I can't believe how he's worked and empowered me in different ways in that area. But there was an area that I came with just strength. Like, oh, I'm a great administrator. I just, God has gifted me in that way. I he teach, he, I know how to do this leadership thing. I know how to do this administration. and I got this. Like, I mean, I can still learn some stuff, but like, like, I, I have a pretty good skills in that, right? And, and so I just kind of poured into that. And now he's like telling me, you know, all those things you learned about administration, all those classes, all those conferences, all those books, you, you learned stuff and all those experiences you had where you put those principles into practice and they work beautifully. Let them go. I want you to lead differently. When we have an encounter with Jesus, will we follow him or will we just follow our traditions and our philosophies and our perspectives and our theological extrapolations? Does Jesus have any access to change your life and to do something new? Not just within who you are right now, but actually transform you into somebody different, a, type, a different type of leader, a different type of person, a different type of missionary, a different type of mom, a different type of dad, a different type of brother or sister, a different neighbor. What, does he have any room? To step into your life and say what you've known all your life. It's not that it's bad. It's not that it's wrong. But will you let go of that so that I can do something new in you? If 
they ask you to give up your job and do something different, will you do it? If they ask you to give up the dreams for the future, will you do it? Will you give it up? I hope, my hope and prayer for me personally and for each one of you individually is that we would know Jesus, that we would hear Jesus. And when Jesus speaks, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we would let everything else go and just cling to him and what he's calling to us right then. That we wouldn't do what Jesus did, that we would do what Jesus is doing right now. Worship team, why don't you come on up? As we respond in music, my guess is that there's at least some of you here who the Holy Spirit or Jesus is, you're having an encounter with Jesus right now and he's whispering something in your ear. Maybe he's screaming it in your head, something that you need to let go of, something new that he's calling you into, but you're fighting him on it, coming up with all kinds of excuses why, you know, no, no, this is the way we do things. Trying to defend your normal way of operation. And I just ask as we take some time to respond in music that, that you would allow him just to keep speaking and that you, would surrender. All right, stand with me and let's worship together. Oh Lord, we need to be revived. <laughs> Lord, we need you. We need you. We, we don't need just in this book. We need you in our hearts, Lord. We need you to be active in our life, Lord. Would you come? Would you have your way in us? Lord, we're open to hearing from you. We, we want to know you. And Lord, so many of us do, but, but Lord, you're so far, so much more. Lord, so much more than who you are, more, than what you, uh, more of what you want to do. Lord, help us to be open and listening. Help us to seek you to know the truth, to seek to see, to know what you're doing right now, Lord. Help us to hear your voice, Lord. Help us to have an encounter with you. Lord, help us to let go of the, uh, of the traditions and the things that we've clung to for probably way too long. Lord, help us to let go of the routines. Help us to, to grab a hold of what you're doing now. Help us. Lord, Teach us something new. <laughs> Teach us something beautiful and powerful and good. Lord, make us more like you. John chapter 16. I've said all these things to you, Jesus says, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. 
But I have said these things to you that when their, this, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, you sorrow, said these things to you, your sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will not see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all, the Father, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for being here. Uh, I just want to encourage you to stay and continue to respond and listen to what Jesus is saying to you in this room as we continue some more music and worship. Uh, if you were ready to go in fellowship, then just encourage you to do that out in the fellowship hall and allow the doors to close behind you so we can keep this space and kind of that uh, music worship kind of full moment. And if you need prayer, we would love to pray for you as well. Come forward and we would love to come alongside you and whatever is uh, you need prayer for today. So God bless church. Have a great day.